you've heard it said, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. With that in mind, join us for an insider's glimpse into all things trekking, safaris, and world adventure. From packing for your Everest base camp trek, to what it felt like for a cancer patient to attempt to summit Kilimanjaro, or visiting a village in the sacred valley of Peru, you will be inspired, informed, and ignited to get out there and start adventuring. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Type 2 Fun Podcast. My name is Mariah, and I am joined today by Nadia, who is an adventure travel adventure travel expert. Oh, say that five times fast uh, on Peru. And I am so excited to hear more and more and more about this fantastic area of the world. Hello, Nadia. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mariah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Um, I, uh, before we hit record, I was telling you that I just decided to go to Peru. Sure. So in, uh, l- a little over a month from now, I will be in Peru and trekking with Embark. So I am really excited to hear all about this amazing country that I've never been to and experience everything. So I hope you're ready to just bombard me with the wonderfulness that is Peru. Are you ready? Do we have enough time? <laughs> in, in a short amount of time, like I'm right, really, really right. excited. Yeah. So I, the, the great thing about Peru is that um, besides being one of the countries with most diversity, both, you know, biological, cultural history, um, it's also a country where it's ideal for outdoors people or active people. You can surf, mm-hmm. you can hike, you can climb, you can canoe on the Amazon. It's um, it's a real delight for people that like active travel like I do and obviously yourself. And it's also mm-hmm. not that far to get to. You know, it's really a shorter, you know, it's an eight-hour flight from Los Angeles. There is not that much time difference and... Um, yeah, so I could like not you... believe how fast it was and honestly how inexpensive it was because on a whim I decided to go. Like normally if this was Africa or, you know, Nepal or something like that, I would have probably most likely have booked my flight more than, you know, four weeks in advance. Um, and I was like, that's it? That's all it costs? That's as fast as I'm going to get there? I was like, my gosh, like why have I not gone there sooner? It, was, it really that's blew my true. mind. That's true. That's true. Also um... – Peru is is well known as basically the cradle of the civilization of the Americas. You know, they have um, archaeological sites going back 3,000 years. Machu Picchu, of course, it's the most visible, the most flashy, mm-hmm. um, you know, monument they have. Um, it's a World Heritage Site and all that. But it's only, it's really only maybe 500 years old. So it's nothing compared to the long history of Peru and um, what's also fascinating, and you will see, is that you have this, um, at the same time, very sophisticated uh, modern culture with this incredible world-renowned cuisine and designers mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And then you have communities in the mountains that live like they've lived since the Middle Ages. There is a very strong traditional, um, you know, indigenous uh, population which is very proud of its heritage and uh, still speaks its own 
languages, you know, different kinds. And, and so you're sort of thrown between all the comforts that you can experience on a trek and then you visit the villages and they're still cooking on a, you know, on wood in the middle of their floor. So it's, uh, it's, very, um, it's very diverse in so many ways and it opens up so many aspects of life and, and ways of living and way of, ways of thinking that it's very enriching for the traveler. You know, I find mm-hmm. especially the contact with the communities, the mountain communities, um, it's so unique to find people that are still very proud to live in their own ways. So I think you'll, you'll see that. You'll really like that. But of course, you know, you can, you can there's so many other things to see. And, and most people, unfortunately, have a very short window of time but um, I'm, um, you know, I cannot even start to tell you how many wonderful places to go. You know, you can go to the Amazon in the north of Peru and you can't see from one shore to the other. It's like a wow. sea. It's, it's fantastic. You can go in a canoe uh, around these villages and nature reserves. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the to the mountains in the Andes, and um, and the mountains are you know twenty thousand feet, and some of the treks that you will experience are above twelve thousand feet. So it seems really high for us, but of course mm-hmm. um, you approach them gradually. Right. Also, surfing is one of the biggest sport in Peru. Um, really, I know the coast. Of course, they have this enormous coast. Right. It's very rich in fishing, but it's also become one of the uh, surfing meccas of the world. And wow. then, and I would then, not have thought I would not have thought about that. Right, right. And then they have the deserts, you know, the Nazca lines, those incredible figures that are carved on the on the hillsides of the desert. Mm-hmm. So a lot to do. It, you know, it I definitely, you know, my scope of Peru is so far reading and pictures. And from there, I get this just profound sense of heritage, like you said. Would you say that that is what I will experience as the most special thing about Peru um, is in you know, deep in culture and heritage? Yes. Um, yes. But also the uh, diversity of nature I mean, they mm-hmm. have incredible amounts of birds. And you know, even up in the highlands, they have different species of hummingbirds. But of course, the meeting the people um, on their own ground, especially when you're hiking, is a very special um, experience because you're not mm-hmm. seeing them in any you know, zoo-type situation. You're just walking through their villages and they're digging up potatoes or they're herding Yamas and alpacas in the mountains, <laughs> and uh, and most traditional people are very um, welcoming. They smile, you know. It's it, you, you always feel like you're safe in places like this. Maybe you're not in a city like Lima sometimes, like you wouldn't be in New York. But once you're out in the mountains or in a more traditional settings, um, you feel very safe, and you feel like you can um, you can approach them, of course you know, with respect. Um, yeah. I love that you said wildlife too. Um, you know, I found that, you know, when you're, you're traveling around, there's always like that one really unique piece of wildlife, like 
what's in my head now is uh, in Puerto Rico, the little coqui, the little, you know, um, little frog that instead of ribbit, he says coqui. Yeah. You know, yeah. is there is there anything like that in Peru that, you know, we don't have here in the States that's going to really stand out or that um, like they're known for? Well, see the wildlife. Uh, um, it's it's uh, less in the in the in the mountains in the high mountains. So you will see hummingbirds at fourteen thousand feet, for example. If uh, wow. the, and the guides will you know show you or you know make you listen to to different kinds of birds. Mm-hmm. There are some there are less animals up up in up in the mountains. Of course, there is a tremendous diversity in the tropical area, the Amazon mm-hmm. and the cloud forest. Right, and again, you have to go with uh, with guides. But some of the wildlife, like the spectacle bears, are nocturnal, so you won't, probably won't see them. Butterflies, for example, I know it's not a huge, you know, example of wildlife, but you see incredible diversity of butterflies. Oh no, that's and, lovely. Um, and then what's interesting, though, is that the um, the animals that they herd, like the llamas and alpacas and vicuñas, are specific to the region and so even though they're not wild because you know of course they use them as they're to carry things and for wool and so forth but they're also so exotic to us and you know the alpacas are so cute it looks like they're smiling at you and (laughs) some of them are more domesticated you can actually get get together you know get oh cute of course, they have guinea pigs, which we do too, and they eat them as well. It's one of the great source of protein for the communities. Um, That's the first thing my father told me when I told him I was going to prove. He goes, "You got to eat a guinea pig." I know it's it's a it's a acquired taste, as I say. It's a little on the fatty side, but if it's okay. prepared well, I'm sure you will enjoy it. So, does it taste like chicken? <laughs> it's more like pork. I think okay. It's a, right. more, it's a little bit more fat, um, okay. but again, it's all in 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 the cooking. But right. don't limit yourself to the guinea pig. I mean, the the um, I won't. I assure the you, <laughs> the ceviches. You know, they do ceviche of with every kind of fish, and it's just stunning. And what's also very interesting about Peru, as well as other countries, but in Peru in particular, they have a very strong. Um, Japanese uh, community as well oh, as okay. African, Black African. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a lot of diversity. We always talk about Asian fusion here in California, mm-hmm. but there you have this fusion of um, different cultures. You know, you have some sushi. You can you can find the most exotic sushi because they mix their own, um, you know, vegetables and and fish. Um, to make sushi or, you know, like fish from the Amazon can this very particular. So you have the, now you're speaking my language. I love fish. Yeah. And the coast, you know, the coast of Peru. And, and of course these restaurants in Lima that are like the best in the world um, mm-hmm. are just amazing. But also when, um, when you get in the highlands, you just try, different local foods like the the corn you know they have so many different types of corn including the red the the black corn they also have potatoes i mean peru is the country with i don't know five thousand types of potatoes they have a potato bank and and 
And the people in the highlands grow many different types of potatoes. Even in one village, you can find 20, 30 types because they grow at different times and different temperatures. Mm -hmm. So that's what keeps people alive, you know, and lupins and uh, quinoa, all these superfoods that we're Mm -hmm. now sort of finding in our supermarkets, um, they all come from Peru. Wow. And... And you mentioned, you know, on some of the some of the treks, you know, we're going to be going into, you know, little communities and little towns, and you know, there are lodges, correct? Yes. Um, on some so, of these treks, right? So you have the choice of uh, trekking or hike, doing day hikes and camping, which is done in you know in in specific areas, and then there are also areas with uh, treks where you can stay in lodges and this is kind of quote-unquote an advantage of course because you know if you've been out in the in the if it's cold that particular day of your rains and you come in and you're warm beautiful lodge you know jacuzzi wi-fi um, they clean your boots uh, so in the morning they dry your clothes so you have a very different experience and in these lodges, most of the, I would say 99% of the staff is from the local communities. Mm-hmm. So besides meeting them in the field, you have some women from the village that serve your meal, which is kind of interesting because, you know, so different from the way they live. Right. But it's, And did um, I hear that those were made by hand, the lodges? Um, well, it depends on the locations, but of course, mm-hmm. um, the... the the lodges are made, the ones that we travel in, uh, are made to fit their environment. So, for example, um, at a certain elevation, at the lower elevation, you have lodges made with adobe. And, of course, those are mm. handmade bricks, right? Because they're more resistant to the, the warm climate. As you go higher into the mountains, for example, there is one lodge that it's fully built of stones, because mm. uh, it's windy and cold and it's much more resistant. And, um, right. and you will see the shapes are also very fitting so they don't stand out. You know, they, they just want to sort of blend in with the environment. And they're all really small. I mean, they're all, you know, a capacity of 12 to 20 people. So these are not big hotels. And I think so that's it's not really, like a Holiday Inn in the middle of... The no, middle you of don't the, want that. And the idea... Yeah. Um, the idea is to promote travel and sustainability because mm-hmm. both when you trek and also when you stay in lodges, all of the staff is local. So you provide jobs as porters or mule mm-hmm. drivers or people that work in the lodge, the chefs. And, and the, in one of the lodges, it's really cute in this very remote village. So the women have been trained and hired to work in the villa in the, in the lodge, and then they had they realized they had to get a teacher to come and take care of the little children, because you know these women oh. have little children, and there is an elementary school, a small elementary school, but for the little children they had to bring in one or pay another woman to come and take care of the children, and so they have this little nursery in the back of the of the lodge. And it's kind of cute because it becomes, you know, the people of the, the of the village have sort of helped us shape how these um, 
tourist um, you know properties are managed yeah so it's really nice and they do a cooking class um if you don't want to hike someday so it's all very um it's all very well taken care of i have to say you won't struggle um well, i i think i chose a trek that is camping not right. lodging this time but right. i've definitely been told i have to come back multiple times so i, I right. think what would be really great is if you could you could walk me through um, the different environments and and the culture that I'm going to experience with each different trek, because uh, you know once I chose one, everybody said, "Oh, but you got to come back and you got to do this one. It's completely different, or you're going to meet these people and, and it's this experience and it's you know completely different." So it sounds like even within this same lovely area, I can get exponentially different you know experiences in a good way. Yes, for the most part, the, the treks and, and the day hikes uh, programs that are offered tend to be in the, in the mountains, right? So you're mm -hmm. usually hiking between 10,000 and 14,000 feet. But again, you start from a town that is probably between 9 and 11. So you're already kind of acclimating. You're spending a couple of days in a, in a town at the start of the trek, and then you get off in the fields. And usually you walk anywhere between three and five, six hours a day, depending. But again, it, the distance on these treks is uh, shorter than you normally would do here because you're at altitude. And so you walk slower in order to better breathe right. and, and be more comfortable and enjoy the surroundings. And then you have sections where you go through villages and uh, you see how people do their things and you can stop and the guides will probably bring you inside one of the homes. Sometimes they do give you a tasting of potatoes that they just cooked, which is kind of fun. Or you just walk through an area that is more like a reserve or a park. And then maybe you see archaeological sites uh, there and... Um, but the trails are usually very well uh, trodden, so you're not uh, walking on exposed or sort of scary trails because these are trails that the communities use for their own um, trade, you know, from one village to another. They maybe bring goods or they sell their... Maybe some village makes jams and honey and then they, with the mule, they take it to the next village or to the next place where there is a train to get it out so the the trade the travel uh, you travel on on well you know trodden paths mm -hmm. and um you know when you get to the to the camp or to the lodge usually you have tea and cookies and then you kind of uh, either take a shower or just get a hot um basin with hot water and you kind of wash up you know like um sponge washing and then you get ready for if you if you can have a drink or maybe just go for dinner. The, the interesting thing is that Peru has been a trekking um, destination for many for decades. So they're very well trained. So they will be very good at providing uh, always water and uh, disinfectants for your hands, not just in these times, but it's always been um, soap and water extra towels, extra ways of, um, you know, keeping yourself tidy and clean. And then you go for meals. And 
And again, the, the trekking crews are very well trained in, in what works, you know, for cooking at altitude. And you'll be surprised, they can bake cakes uh, while you're camping for a birthday. It, it's, they're Ooh. really good about that, you know. And then, you know, and then every day you move along. And what's wonderful is that you can just be free to explore and look around. And the guides are always so great because they point out Oh, there is a condor flying. And so for a while you stop and watch the condor flying overhead or there is a hummingbird or you're going through a herd of yamas and uh, alpacas. <laughs> it's never boring, I tell you. It's uh, it's fascinating. I find it really fascinating. I mean, it you can experience like this in a lot of different places, but this is so culturally different. You know, the people in the mountains are all Quechua people. They belong to this indigenous group. It's the largest indigenous group of South America. So they speak Quechua, and a lot of the women do not even speak Spanish to this day. So um, so the guides will interpret if, if needed. And some of them sell their trinkets. And I have to say, the textiles in Peru, get ready, <laughs> bring They're, my money oh my gosh yes you can either sometimes buy little stuff in the in the little villages along the way but then when mm -hmm. you get to bigger towns there are women cooperatives where they have um you know they show you how they do the the dyeing of the wool and the spinning and um the traditional textiles are amazing and they vary from village to village because each village kind of has its own theme. So like one group may have uh, these beautiful weavings that have more very um, um, like animal symbols or they have lakes and mountains and they're all very, um, how would you say, um, stylized, right? You know, But um, a lot of the communities have started again to use uh, traditional dyes. So you see, you know, more sort of brown green beige colors but these are the mm -hmm. ones that they can color with their own uh, vegetables oh, oh that's cool so they're using like incredible in peru i have to say and silver peru is the capital of silver right so there is incredible silver jewelry silver frames and there is also in cusco i just want to mention um a, a traditional school of painting that comes from the Spanish, you know, from the Spanish Empire, that it's very specific to Cusco. It's they kind of absorbed the traditional style of Spain and made it their own. And so there are beautiful art galleries as well. Ooh. But so pack an extra offer, bag. Pack an extra bag for sure. <laughs> for the market, the... unbelievable. The the crafts, uh, the the you know, the choice of crafts in the market. Cusco. I love it. Extra bag. I, I, do you know much or can you explain about um, the the language you were saying that some uh, that um, some of those smaller communities, you say Quechuan? What is Quechua, it? Quechua. 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 Um, how did that come to be and why are they um, staying, that was staying the to that and not Spanish? That was the traditional language of these people that have lived there forever. And, um, you know, now there is a lot more schools. And so, like, most of the men speak Spanish as well. But among themselves, they speak, they still speak their traditional language. 
Okay, and it's so probably my, similar. My Spanish is only going to get me so far. The Spanish would be great in every sort of uh, more urban setting and some of the villages and some of the men, of course, in the, with the campsite um, staff or the lodge staff, you can speak Spanish, of course. But if you're in a awesome. remote village, um, they'll most likely speak Quechua, which I find fascinating that they're still holding on because there is a lot of value to their um, traditional language as with the American Indians, right, in North America. Mm -hmm. I love it. I, I completely agree. I'm going to have to open my history books and learn a bit more. I want to make sure that I'm really respectful of, of all that. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, another thing I definitely want to talk about is obviously when most people think Peru, they think Machu Picchu. So we can't leave without talking about Machu Picchu, even though what I love about Embark is they take you on all these other amazing, you know, like you said, Lars and Sacred Valley and, you know, all these other places that, um, quote unquote, normal, you know, um, tourists, you know, wouldn't go. But um, Machu Picchu is um, popular for a reason. So I'd love to hear a bit about its history and, you know, what, what, you, what you think makes it so special. Yes, of course. Um, you know, Machu Picchu is probably the first um, reason why people go to Peru. Mm -hmm. And then they learn more. But um, so you can get to Machu Picchu in different ways. Of course, you can go from Cusco, drive, then take the train. You can only arrive to the at the town below Machu Picchu by train um, if you're a normal tourist. But if you are um, trekking, like on the Salcantay trek that Embark offers. You get to Machu Picchu and you see it the last day of the trek. You see Machu Picchu from the distance and you feel like, oh, I'm going to be there tomorrow. It's wonderful, right? <laughs> so Machu Picchu was discovered by Aaron Bingham in 1911. He was with the National Geographic uh, Exploratory Trip. And, um, and it, it, the lucky part is that it was not discovered by the Spaniards when they fought the Indians. For some reason... Um, the Indian, the Incas, I'm sorry. For some reason, they had many different battles along the way. In Sacred Valley is actually the, one of the biggest battles. But Machu Picchu was sort of abandoned when the Spanish started coming. And it was kind of, because it's in the cloud forest, which is um, between the mountains, the, uh, the Andes, and the uh, rainforest is this temperate um area called the cloud forest about between nine and seven thousand feet so everything grows so fast there you know you let something you know you abandon your house and you're back in five years or it's covered in, in plants <laughs> and and so there's also great diversity in uh, in wildlife but so it's been covered up you know and nobody knew except the local people that maybe went up and foraged or took their animals out so um, after it was discovered by Bingham, it was realized it was a very special place. And now it's uh, very controlled because everybody wants to go. And they usually take about 3,000 people a day over, over three uh, different segments of time. So it's good that it's more controlled because that way you have a better experience when you're there. And um, they, there is... There are different sections to Machu Picchu, and one is like a temple, 
that was used mostly for archaeoastronomy uh, purposes. So they on the winter solstice, <clears throat> which is uh, June 21st for them, it's winter, um, the sun shines straight through one of the windows. And, and their knowledge of, uh, of astronomy was unbeatable. They, they figured everything out, the equinoxes, the, the solstices, everything is aligned on an east-west um, you know, line. It's, it's really fascinating. And then there were residences for the um, Inca king. Then there were houses, uh, they were like guards, um, they were houses for uh, for farmers because the terraces below the actual structures were all farmed with corn and quinoa and potatoes to provide food for this um, residence of a you know of an Inca king and it didn't seem like it was used all year round it was probably used but it was probably also used for a very short time. See, the Inca kingdom empire, I would say, because it went from Ecuador all the way to Chile, probably was no longer than 300 years overall. And they achieved so much in terms of um, expansion as well as knowledge. They were incredible engineers. But of course, they built on the knowledge of the people that lived there before, you know, and uh, acquired. But they were very... Um, they were very smart. They were the Google of their times. You know, they had a very fast communication system between uh, um, house between villages and towns, and and um, they acquired this excessive production of um, of agriculture because they were so smart with their terracing and their irrigation systems. So it's a it's sort of the it's nice to go there at the end of a trek. Or the right. end of because then you feel like you have earned it and you have mm-hmm. learned so much along the way about the Incas, the local people, the history, and so by the time you get there, you have a better sense of what it's all about, and um, and of course it's very uh, it's photogenic. Let's say you know great pictures. The the, the myth of uh, of Machu Picchu is people want to go there at sunrise because they think sunrise, you know, but the problem with the the cloud forest, as the name says, it's cloudy most of the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Going at at sunrise makes really no difference. It could be cloudy and sunny and maybe a little bit of rain and then wind. could be anything. But that's also the magical part. I think some of the pictures that show Machu Picchu with the clouds rising above uh, from the river are some of the most uh, um, iconic. I so, I can't wait. I'm looking yeah. forward to it for sure. But I, I definitely get a sense that, like you said, like it is just this one piece yeah. of this of this right. great uh, area, and. Um, I love that I'm coming into it, looking at it, not like this is the only thing that's worth seeing and doing and I'm going to check it off and then be done with it. You know, Um, it's like you get to find all these little treasures. And like you said, it does sound very magical. So, yeah, the one thing that I I want to emphasize and I always say is that maybe we just touched on it earlier, is that you have these ancient cultures, this incredible history, this incredible diversity 
But then you're also very comfortable because you are, um, there is a great um, infrastructure for hospitality. So there are some really mm -hmm. great hotels. The restaurants are like world-class. Um, the staff is very well-trained because of this, you know, decades-long tradition of hospitality. So while you, um, while you see all these things, you also feel comfortable and right. safe. I love it. Um, as we're as we're wrapping up our conversation, I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, say if you know a person's thinking about going, or you know, what um, any other little tidbits of Peru that you wanted to share that you want to make sure that people walk away a sense of understanding their their culture and you know, like we said, what makes Peru so special. Yes, I think. Uh, um Learning a little bit more about the destination before you get there, it really helps you understand what you're seeing. You know, there is so much to absorb, absorb when you're there. It's kind of, you feel like you're missing, you're missing things. Um, and so just, just read about it as much as you can. Relax, enjoy. Um, I would say that um, being a little bit more aware of hygiene personal hygiene, washing hands as much as you can. Because even though your hotel is wonderful and so forth, but if you're out and you're touching textiles in a market or um, you shake hands with local people in the village, you want to wash your hands or carry a sanitizer with you. It's just safer because when you travel so far and there is so much to see, you just don't want to get sick, right? You can right. get sick in you know, in New York or in Mexico or somewhere. But Peru, you know, once you're outside the main towns and cities, it's a little bit more rural. And so that's one thing that I, I'm always aware of. I carry a sanitizer with me. It's, um, I've always done it, you know, my, all my years of travel. And, um, and then let yourself go and just uh, soak it in, you know. It's... Um, it's so wonderful. And it's nice when you travel with an organization that takes care of your basic needs so well. You know, mm -hmm. Embark has done that. And so you can relax about, you know, you don't have to worry about the water you drink when you're on a trek. You can, um, you eat well, you don't lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you just enjoy, you know, and, and you just come back, re revitalize. And this, I think it's... Um, I think you're going to have such a great time and I can't wait to hear your stories. I, I thank you. You know, the biggest takeaway from that right there is I agree, read up before I go. So you're, you're giving me lots of homework and I'm excited about it because I want to make sure that, you know, I don't pass by something that seems seeming, seemingly insignificant. And it was this, you know, like you said, this amazing battle or, you know, this uh, really uh, you know, deep part of, you know, um, you know, the town rich in culture and stuff. So if there's any books that you recommend or websites or stuff, you know, please let us know. I can even put it in the show notes, but um, I, I gotta, I gotta go to school. I gotta go to Peru <laughs> school before I go. Absolutely. But you know, just, uh, just also enjoy it and you'll find things there. Um, just one little tidbit that you'll love it. The, the, Peru is full of cathedrals because of the Spaniard, uh, um, you know, Spaniard, empire so if you go in the cathedral of cusco which is the 
the capital of the Incas, but also the capital of the Spanish Empire. There is a huge painting of the Last Supper, you know, Jesus and the apostles. Mm -hmm. And on the plate in front of Jesus is a guinea pig, which is so funny. <laughs> Certainly they didn't have that in Palestine. But it's such a the syncretism, right, of incorporating right. traditional foods with this imported religion. What a what a holy guinea pig. I right. love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to experience this phenomenal culture. We'll have to talk again after I've gone so that we can we can really dive into all that I learned and any more questions I have. Well, thank you and uh, have a great trip. Remember, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Thank you again for joining us on the Type 2 Fun podcast. We will see you again on the next adventure. But in the meantime, check us out at www.embarkexplorationco.com. <laughs>